welcome to the Nerd Party. Maximum warp. Punch it. Punch it. Punch it, Bishop! Punch it. Punch that shit! Let's punch it. Hello, everybody at home, and welcome. This is Punch It, writing in Star Trek. I am your co-host, Tristan Riddell, and with me, as always, is... Charlene Schmidt. Today, we are continuing our fantastic and fun conversation that we had uh, last year in 2017, where we <laughs> talked about Star Trek captains, and more importantly, the actors who play them, and what kind of input they had in making the character their own. Now, who did we cover in last part's episode? Well, we went chronologically, so we started with William Shatner, went through with Patrick Stewart, and then got to Avery Brooks and realized we had to do part two. We already filled one show, and I think with three more captains to discuss, we're going to discuss Captain Janeway, Jonathan Archer, and the alternate James T. Kirk as portrayed by Chris Pine. No, no discovery. We can't really do that. There's not information out. The season's not complete. Everything's under lock and key. There's not much to discuss yet, so... That's what we're going to cover today, and that alone, I think, is going to be plenty enough. Now, did you watch the latest Star Trek Discovery episode? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, I did. What did you think so far? I have feelings. Um, <laughs> uh, I, yeah, this was the first time that I thought, without giving too much away, because I don't, you know, spoilers, mm -hmm. I don't really, this might have been the first time I felt like maybe Discovery really fouled up. And you know what? We're not done yet. We've got the whole rest of the season to go. I'm interested to see how this is going to play out. How are, where are we going to end up? But my knee-jerk reaction was, ooh, guys, why'd you do that? What were your thoughts? Well, without spoiling anything, because I'm going to go your route and not spoil anything outright. But if you have seen the episode, you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't seen the episode, you will have no idea what I'm talking about. Exactly. But in, uh, we reviewed this episode in Nerd Nuptial. So if you guys want to see a more comprehensive review, uh, you should check out my other show at thenerdparty.com slash nerdnuptial. It's a show that I host with my wife. We watched it. We talked about upcoming films in 2018, but we also reviewed the episode, the latest episode that aired, episode 10. And also, uh, SETI Alpha uh, 3 is going to be talking about that too. So make sure to check in on them. Yeah. Uh, I loved this episode. I thought it was great because the last episode, the, the mid-season finale, I thought was the first great episode of Star Trek Discovery. Right. I think we talked about that off camera. We did talk about that, and I know some people are like, what? No, Discovery's great. But uh, for me, it was just kind of okay. It felt very mediocre to me. But once we got that finale, I was like, whew, fantastic. I'm excited. Now, I agree with you with that foul up because when that happened, I screamed at the top of my lungs at the television set. And <laughs> I do believe, I completely agree with you. I think this is Star Trek Discovery's biggest foul Possibly so far. Possibly. Possibly so. Actually, regardless of how it turns out, I still think it was wrong. And that mm -hmm. is my personal opinion. But outside of that, and I know some people can't remove that, but outside of that, I think it was a fantastic episode. The pacing, the acting, the directing, the fighting. Oh, yeah. I thought it was all top notch. And Jonathan Frakes did a fantastic job. So I was excited once you remove that huge elephant in the room. 
Right. The one thing that is giving me hope, we are not done yet. We do not know right. how the story continues to evolve, and I'm expecting a lot of twists and turns. But we are not here to continue with the Discovery discussion, and I mean, it's crazy right now because we just saw it last night. But let's go back to the past, the things that we do know. <laughs> so why don't we dig in? Let's start with our lady, Catherine Janeway, whom we discussed on To The Journey for four straight years. <laughs> it was stupid of us to think that we could encompass every single captain in one 40-minute podcast, especially once we get to, once we got to Janeway, because we're both both you and I looked at each other like there's no way that we can just we did four years on Janeway and crew. There's no way we can give her like ten minutes. Um, right, we could do forty minutes on Janeway alone, but we won't. We're gonna try to keep this brief, <laughs> but we could is all that I'm saying. So now, tons of people know the story behind Kate Mulgrew and how she got the job, and when she got the job. I mean, every, the, the story of Genevieve Bujold is infamous. I mean, she was hired. She was going to be Nicole Janeway. She spent two days on production and just could not handle the rigors of a television schedule, and then, boom, kicked to the curb voluntarily. <laughs> right. She bowed out to her credit, which was the smartest move she could have made. But, of course, it jeopardized everything. Yeah. And, and then uh, I believe that I think, obviously, you know, Kate Mulgrew was one of the finalists before Genevieve Bujold, but then after Genevieve Bujold was taken out and they realized they had to reshoot, they had to get a new captain, she was one of three people who were brought in to screen test and to audition. And I think I read that it was a uh, it was a holiday weekend or something like that, so she didn't know for three days if she actually got the gig. Yeah, I if I recall correctly, that is the case. And what's even funnier is her first audition she thought was horrible. She bombed it, so she thought, "Oh, pff, I'm not, I'm not getting this part." But then when she found out that they were recasting again because Genevieve Bujold bowed out, she was she was desperate at that point, needed mm -hmm. a job desperately. I mean. She hadn't had a good meaty role in quite a while. In she was in financial dire straits. It was on the verge of selling her house. She begged her agent, you're going to get me in that room. <laughs> <laughs> and that's ultimately what happened. She went in there like gangbusters and nailed that part. We've said many times over the years, I can't imagine anybody else being Catherine Janeway but Kate Mulgrew, which is going to give away my thoughts on this matter. I mean, Catherine Janeway is Kate Mulgrew. The two are so intertwined, they have a very close relationship between actress and character that the influence is profound in this instance. Oh, absolutely. I think just you saying that, you saying that you can't imagine Janeway played by any other actor means that it was her own. She made it her own. She had influence over the character, not just how she was played, but the input on what she had to play with. And I think she she said something along the lines of, like somebody asked her, like, how, what do you draw on for your commanding presence on the bridge? Or, and um, she said it's because she was a bossy little girl in, in her yes. family. <laughs> she had to be. She was the oldest girl of nine kids. So she was mommy number two, essentially. That's pretty crazy. Now, you've read Born With Teeth, correct? Oh, absolutely. And I've got the audiobook version that I've listened to countless times. Was there anything that you could pull from Born With Teeth, uh, no pun intended, that you felt would be applicable to this conversation like any kind of insights on how she approached her character or what she had to say after the fact about her character anything like that you know the interesting thing is is that born with teeth does not cover the voyager years very heavily which i've hoped for the last two years meant that she's writing another book sometime in the future a continuation 
of a memoir that delves into things like her years on Voyager, her time on Orange is the New Black, and then whatever is in her future. So there is actually not too much to draw from with Voyager directly. Now, with her early life, yeah, being one of nine kids, basically kind of having to create her own destiny. She came from this small Iowa town where the idea of going out to Hollywood or New York and becoming a famous actress almost seemed crazy. But she did it. She knew from a very early age that she wanted to be an actress and she was going to master this craft. And that was it. That was it for her. She had to do anything possible to make that happen. And she did. So I think the big thing that I can draw from all of that is Kate Mulgrew has a very hearty, strong spirit. Mm-hmm. You know, when she's committed, she is committed. There's no doubt whatsoever about how she feels about something. She, she will show you and she will let you know. And I think that comes across in Catherine Janeway, too. Janeway is a very committed, decisive, tough woman. She, I mean, she does have a softer side, but she's also very authoritative. And I think that also is Kate Mulgrew. It was interesting because you and I were together in Vegas a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and we saw Kate Mulgrew together. We, we saw her yes. perform, not perform, but we saw her uh, speak. At a panel, yeah. At a panel. And, uh, and I remember just being so enraptured by her because this was the first time i ever saw her live right yes yes to use the word again i was so utterly enraptured by her presence by her command and i'm not just saying that i'm I'm not just saying that because like there are other people who like Whoopi goldberg was there she could command the room because of her charm and because of her humor and because Mm -hmm. of how interesting she is but kate mulgrew commanded the room because she (laughs) she stood up Yes. And she told you what she was saying. You, you understand what I'm trying to say? But yes, she absolutely. You. you feel when she walks in the room that she's there. You know. Yeah. Like, there's just something that changes when she comes into the room. I mean, yeah, it's, it's definitely there. That's something where it's hard to explain. And I highly recommend if anybody does not understand what we're talking about, go to a convention because you will feel it. It's really something you ought to just experience for yourself. And that's not the case with everybody out there who's on a panel like like you said with Whoopi Goldberg that's a great example she's an incredible actress in her own right too but she's much more low-key and mm-hmm. she's much more relaxed and you have a lot of fun that was a great panel we, I really enjoyed that, was that they got her there yeah but Kate Mulgrew man yeah she is large and in charge and you will listen to her while I was watching her while I was listening to her the character of Janeway and how she was played fell like fell into place. Like it in my brain, it was just like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. Or like, that's the reason why she did that. I'm sure this is why she attacked the character this way. And if anything, I feel like Kate Mulgrew is more commanding than Janeway. <laughs> Which is a hard thing to imagine, but I kind of agree. She just has that presence. That's just who she is. I think she's much more brash. Not brash, not not in a bad way, but she's mm-hmm. much more. She will tell you what she's thinking, and whether you like it or not. And yeah. I I feel like, and again, I, this is not a criticism of Mulgrew in the least, but I feel like Janeway has a much more softer tone. I feel like Janeway is a little bit more diplomatic, and it's just with Mulgrew, it's just like boom. You want the information? There you go. You have it. If you don't like it, deal with it. You know, like it's just <laughs> right. She's not really going to care what you think. <laughs> and I yeah. agree, though. I think maybe uh, Catherine Janeway is a little bit of Mulgrew 
softened. That's not to say that Kate Mulgrew does not have a gentle and feminine side, that there, there's definitely oh, yeah. that. But yeah, I just think Mulgrew going through life the way she has, she is tough as nails. And she's a little lady, but man, she's got a big presence. <laughs> oh, yeah, most, most little ladies do. You kind of have to. That's how you make up for walking into a, bi- a room with a bunch of big executive guys, usually, and having to create your own presence and have your own way with things. I mean, that's what you just have to do, I think, to get along in that world. Now, I once read an interview with Patrick Stewart, and he was talking about the character of Picard and how, I don't think I mentioned this in the last episode, but he talked about how not only did he influence the character of Picard and Picard's growth, but Picard, the character, influenced Patrick Stewart. Oh, really? Cool. I thought that was a very interesting thing to say, an interesting thing to feel, because he talked about it. He said, I'm a much better listener now because of Picard, is what he said. Oh, wow. That's cool. You know, that would be a great question to ask Kate Mulgrew, is Mm -hmm. how did Janeway influence you? I don't know if I've ever heard that before. You need to log that away for next time you uh, go see her at a convention. (laughs) Right? Maybe at Vegas this year. I have a feeling she'll be there. (laughs) But yeah, I just, I thought that was so cool because Stuart was talking about how he was quicker to anger and about how he was, um, you know, like if it wasn't his way, he wouldn't care. But because Picard is such a diplomat and he values his crew, you know, he listens to everybody. And if you think about the stories that you hear about season one, Patrick Stewart, about how he was living out of a suitcase. You know, he was frustrated by things taking so long. He was frustrated by other actors just joking around on set. He says, he's like, we're not here to have a good time. We're here to work. And so obviously as the years went on, he softened and started having a good time with his fellow actors and listening more and valuing input. And so it was just really cool to hear that. And so, yeah, to bring it back, it makes me wonder. I really want somebody to ask Kate Mulgrew that question. Absolutely. You know what? I, as you were talking, I thought of one word to describe Kate Mulgrew, and that is fireball, mm-hmm. especially when she had the red hair. I knew you were going to bring that up. <laughs> but it's absolutely true. I mean, she is this massive ball of energy, just explodes on stage. It's amazing. One little side note before we move on, because I know we need, we've been going on and on about Catherine Janeway, is a kind of a testament to how much influence she did have on her character, the writers were picking up cues from her, what she was bringing to the character and wrote more of it into the show. The big example, hands on the hips. (laughs) Brennan Braga saw her doing that and that ultimately led to that little moment in Macrocosm where putting her hands on her hips created kind of a diplomatic uh, problem for her. That's how that all originated. Yeah, I I love stuff like that because that makes me think of the hair jokes with the doctor. <laughs> the hair jokes oh god <laughs> and like and how that continued on and because it's it's funny because once you get that actor you can use that actor because before they're cast you just have a concept of a character but the actor right. is what solidifies the character and the direction that they're going to go and the writers can use that as a tool just like their own imagination right and i think they needed to with janeway just because of the whole fallout with Jean-Vive Bujold, they had kind of just the framework of Catherine janeway but with her suddenly gone, okay, we really need to inject uh, more in here. And then Kate Mulgrew, I mean, she brought so much to that character just from the get-go that I think she made the writer's jobs a lot easier than they could have been. Now, do you know if she had any input over the Chicote shipping at all? Yes. She was, I think, ultimately the one who put the stop to it. Oh. Because people like Jerry Taylor 
wanted to go through with some sort of relationship. She wanted Janeway and Chakotay to become closer. I mean, Jerry Taylor, she was the one who read all that fan mail and thought, hey, you know, I wonder if it's a good idea to have a person of leadership like Janeway have a relationship and we portray that on television. Now, Kate Mulgrew knew that that was shaky ground and she was not comfortable with it because she did not want to portray that the first female captain had to have a man yeah. on screen. And I, I get it. I get it. But it was also at the same time a missed opportunity because this was the 90s where a lot of women were doing, quote unquote, the superwoman thing, where you do have careers, you do have a, a marriage, you have kids, you're trying to do it all. And so in that sense, they missed the boat of the representation of that, like the, the woman who can have it all. And yet, yeah, I do see where Mulgrew was coming from too, why she wanted what she wanted, and ultimately she did get her way. Now, that is a very good reason. That is a solid reason. And before you even opened your mouth, I figured that's what she would have said. <laughs> once, once you said like, oh, she put a stop to it. I figured that was her reasoning. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to argue with that reasoning. But being a I fan, know, right? <laughs> I hate her for that. And yet I love her. <laughs> yeah, yes. Being such a huge JC shipper, you're thinking like, well, there's ways to frame that. There's ways to address that. There's ways to push that aside and barrel through it so that you recognize it and then overcome it. But it's never going to happen. So the show's over. So <laughs> Right. You know, in the 90s, I do wonder how well they would have portrayed it. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's very shaky ground. And we had things like Ally McBeal, uh, where the you know, shows that we're sort of trying to portray this and kind of failing in ways. <laughs> and then also freaking soap operas. Kate Mulgrew mentioned many times she did not want a romance for Janeway to become like a soap opera. Yeah. yeah. She's been on a soap opera. She's been there and done that. <laughs> and so I think that was a genuine fear for her. I think if it happened today, I think there'd be a way to show Janeway and see it as her choice. It's not because she needs a man. It's because she wants a man and she wants that man. Yeah. I don't think we maybe have made that leap back in the mid-90s at that point. So, yeah, I totally agree. Today would have not even really been much of a thought. It's like, let's do this and let's do it properly. And it yep. would have happened. But right. back then, uh, yes or no. <laughs> okay. Or, well, we ought to move on. Let's move on. Let's move on to the enigma that is Scott Bakula. Yes, the first, I would say, really big name guy that they pursued to helm a Star Trek series. Because Patrick Stewart was a big name, but they did not go after him. He mm -hmm. showed up and then won them over. They went after Scott Bakula to helm this series. Yeah, this because he was already an established name, uh, not only in acting, but specifically in science fiction. Right. And and so, like like you said, this was a change for them. And so th they got name recognition. It wasn't just, oh, we're having a new Star Trek series, but it's set in this era and this time and this station or whatever. This is, we've got Scott Bakula in Star Trek. You know, like it is one of those <laughs> things. Because there's a lot of Star Trek fans who are also Quantum Leap fans. So they thought, I th I'm sure that their thinking was, if we get this name, we'll be able to bring in that other subsect of sci-fi fans. Right. And I do think with the show being on UPN and much like Voyager was, it was kind of the flagship show of that network. They thought if they got a big name, they could draw a lot more people in. Now, this was kind of the first show that started with internet culture being a big thing. Do you think it worked? Getting Scott Bakula? Yeah, just the news of that, the hype, 
and everybody talking about it, and especially on the internet, because we knew early on that this was happening. I mean, ultimately, do you think it actually helped Enterprise that they got Scott Bakula? I think it was a little bit of a catch-22, and I, I may be oversimplifying this. And so fans who know more than I do, please forgive me. But the impression that I got in my own personal experience was that the older generation was much more impressed with Scott Bakula being on Star Trek and probably drew them in a little bit more. But the thing is, the older generation wasn't really online. And so That's true. that younger generation who, were, who was on the boards and who was chatting about Star Trek and everything like that could take or leave Scott Bakula. So I don't know if it helped the online hype, but I think it definitely drew in some people who wouldn't necessarily go towards Star Trek if that wasn't their thing. Because I knew firsthand people who were Quantum Leap fans and not Star Trek fans, but gave Enterprise a shot because of Bakula. My thought on it is that at first, yes, it did make a big difference because even if you didn't watch Quantum Leap, you knew the name Scott Bakula. He was out there. And I say that as someone who did not watch Quantum Leap. I actually never have. But I thought, oh, that's a great draw. Good. Good for them. I think initially it drew people in to watch the show, but ultimately the hype fizzled out and it didn't really bring a committed fan what was really interesting for me and something that I still find today is when I talked with my family or with my friends who aren't Star Trek fans and I start talking about a show or a specific moment in a show, they're like, okay, is that the one with the bald guy? Is that the one <laughs> with Shatner? Is that the one with the station? Is that the one where they're lost? Or is that the one with Bakula? So because we have so much distance between us and Shatner, where Shatner is just so much in pop culture TOS is recognized as Shatner's show, mm-hmm. but it's not recognized as Stuart or Mulgrew or Brooks's show, but Bakula is the touchstone for so many people. The name, I guess, it does carry some weight to it. The interesting thing I find is, uh, unlike Voyager, where they had basic framework for Captain Janeway, I think they had a much more developed sense of who they wanted Captain Archer to be, and therefore... Scott Bakula's influence, I had a really hard time in our research finding bits to talk about saying how he influenced the character. I think it was more, he was the actor, he showed up, he did his lines, he did a fantastic job most of the time. (laughs) I know you have issues with Bakula, and occasionally (laughs) I do too. I I don't know if he was maybe the best actor for a Star Trek series, but... Uh, He went out there and he did his thing and it was a little more of a a typical actor's role where he did a little more of what he was told and there wasn't quite the same synergistic exchange. At least that's what I got out of my research. How about you? What I got from my research is that uh, I don't know if it was as cut and dry as what you're putting, but I think because the producers had Bakula in mind and they actively pursued Bakula, I think as they were developing the show they probably thought from an actor's standpoint. They're like, okay, mm. as we're developing this character, who do we think could get, get in there? And then they start thinking about Bakula. And so it's only natural that the producers and the writers and people who are developing the show as well as the network bring all that together and they develop a character that a Bakula type could play. And That's very true because they did make a great match in that they were looking for the quote-unquote Han Solo kind of character who's a little laid back and has a little bit of awe and wonder in his head about going to the stars. Uh, Scott Bakula strikes me as a very down-to-earth and relaxed guy. That translates. Easy. Yeah. Well, with um, Bakula, one thing that he said 
uh, when talking about getting the role was that the producers went to him and said, listen, this is we want to go back to this Kirk style like Captain, but it's going to be different because you're not going to be in love with space or in love with a ship. It's going to be about your relationship with the crew. And that's what attracted Bakula to the role, and that's why he said yes. Now, did they pull that off? I don't really think so. Yeah, I th- like with a lot of things on Enterprise, I think they tried, and it just didn't completely meet its full potential. It could have been. It, it was almost there, but that show just got so rushed that it suffered for it. With that in mind, I think I don't think Bakula had to try very hard to characterize Archer. I think he just kind of fell into it naturally with all of that in mind, like knowing that they were going after him, knowing that the role was he was considered for the role as they were making it. And so he was able to kind of do what he wanted with the role without any kind of pushback. Of course, this is all speculation. But one thing that I heard recently, and this is just a rumor, no input, no nothing. Like, I have no stats for this. I have no links. It's just a rumor that I heard. And I'm just sharing with you because I think it's interesting. So apparently someone said that Les Moonves, who's the head of CBS, wanted Berman to fire Bakula halfway through the show. Oh, no kidding. Was there a yeah. reason why? I, I didn't get the reasoning why. All that I heard was just like Les Moonves just did not think that Bakula was working for the show. He just didn't think that it was the right fit and that he was just, they could have gotten somebody else to helm the show. Now, granted, this is coming from the same studio who wanted to introduce introduce musical groups. <laughs> I was just about to bring that up. So with this being a rumor, who knows if this was really a good idea or not? <laughs> they have some winners. Seriously. They have some losers. <laughs> Whatever it was, it's you know these these types of rumors pop up years ago, and they develop their own life and roll through the bowels of the internet. So who knows where they came from or some kernel right. of truth, if any truth at all. That's just it. And you know what? Honestly, I was expecting a whole lot more information during research just because of internet culture. You think a lot more would be documented and available out there, but uh, not necessarily. Yeah, yeah. How about we move on to Chris Pine? Now, I, I don't have much information on this. Do you? I've got a little bit. Yeah, the big thing while researching Chris Pine and his interpretation of James T. Kirk is that going into the first movie... Oh, side note, he also bombed his first audition for the role. Yeah, Chris Pine did a horrible audition. He thought, oh, that's a role I'm not going to get. And he (laughs) didn't even really care that much because he thought, well, I don't really know how I feel about doing science fiction, Star Trek. He knew it was a thing, but he wasn't really excited about being a part of it. Well, turns out they liked him well enough to... bring him back and ultimately though you know he started to embrace this possibility and so when he and J.J. Abrams got together to talk about how he was going to portray Kirk the big thing was we don't want you to do a Shatner-esque interpretation we want you to do it your own way you know they both mutually agreed didn't he write Shatner a letter before they started filming he did he did yeah he basically said look I've got this role I'm going to play James T. Kirk I'm not trying to take over this character that you portrayed. And uh, I mean, I think that actually is a big testament to just what a classy guy Chris Pine is. You know, he knew that he was stepping into a big thing here and he did it very carefully, very tactfully, very classy. And, you know, ultimately, I think that forged a little bit of a friendship and some acceptance with Shatner because we all kind of know what Shatner is like. This could have gone very badly. 
I think Shatner sent a response. And if I remember correctly, it was like one sentence and it was really gruff. It was like, just do your job. Like, just just do the job. Like, oh, like, really? Okay. I didn't catch all of that, but that's that's good. It was like it was like it was something like stop thinking about me and just do your job. I, it might have even been more gruff than that. Hmm. But we have seen them together and we have seen them be friendly together. And like Shatner even interviewed Pine and, you know, they they talk about yeah. how much how what fun it is to play the same character. So we do know even if he was gruff to him saying just like shut up and do your job. We do know that they do. <laughs> they develop some sort of respect for each other. Uh, yeah, I think there definitely is some mutual respect there for sure. They do not have uh, any bad blood. Shatner, there's no resentment on Shatner's part, I don't think, at least about this. Yeah. So that's good. And, and that way, I think that kind of freed Chris Pine to play James T. Kirk the way he wanted to play it. Now, side note to your side note. Did yeah. I ever tell you the story about how I thought I bombed an audition? No, do tell. Okay, so I was auditioning for a play, and I knew that the auditions were coming up, and it was for a period piece. And so I was like, okay, I'll grow out my hair. I'll grow my hair long. Mm-hmm. And so all summer I grew out my hair. It was ridiculously long. I looked really stupid and I absolutely hated it. I hated having long hair. And so I went into the audition and I did it and I thought I bombed it. I was like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe all that preparation, all that waiting. And I just bombed it. And as soon as I left the audition, I went in my car and went to a barber and had him cut it all off. Just boom. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then that afternoon, I get an email saying, we want you to come in for callbacks. <laughs> and I was like, crap. <laughs> yeah, a little too soon, buddy. And so I walk back in and the first thing out of the director's mouth is, why did you cut your hair? I, I knew it. I knew it. And I can't even remember what bullcrap reason I came up with, but I ended up getting the job. But I... <laughs> Did you have to wear a wig? I did not have to wear a wig. They changed the character or they changed the look of the character for me. But folks, whenever you think you bomb an audition, just give it some time and see. (laughs) Because you never know. Yeah. You never know. (laughs) For real. Yeah. So the big thing that I got out of Chris Pine playing Captain Kirk is he had quite a bit of freedom, honestly, to portray the character as he saw fit. And uh, J.J. Abrams just kind of let him do his job and embraced it. And ultimately, I really think Chris Pine nailed this character. He did a really good job with it, as did the whole cast. You know, like one big concern I had as a fan going into these movies was, oh, they're just going to be caricatures of the original characters Mm -hmm. as portrayed by those actors. No, not at all. And that's beautiful. I really did uh, appreciate Pine's interpretation of the character because, like you said, it's not a caricature. It's not over the top. It's not an impression. It's his own thing. But there is one moment that we got in 2009 that felt very Shatner-esque, and that was when he was doing the uh, Kobayashi Maru. You know, when oh, he's really? Uh, yeah, like when, he, when he's sitting in the captain's chair and he's doing the Kobayashi Maru, he has the apple. And he's just like, uh, set photons and prepare for evacuation. Just like the, just the way that he hits some of those syllables. I was like, okay, this is him having a little fun with it, having a <laughs> nod to Shatner, but then moving on, which I thought was very appropriate. Hmm. I, you know, I didn't really quite get the Shatner vibe. I just thought this is cocky, young, alternate James Kirk, knowing what's ha- going to happen and, mm-hmm. and having a little fun with it. So I'll look for a little more Shatner leaking yeah, just, in there. Just watch the scene. Just see if you uh, just see if you see what I saw. Okay, I'll do that next time I watch it. 
Now, like you talked about, uh, like we don't we don't have too much on Pine. We, uh, but you know, we discussed a little bit. We have absolutely nothing on um, the Georgiou or Lorca or anything like that because it's just not yet. Not yet. <laughs> no, I mean, with the series still airing, its very first season, they're under lock and key. There's not a whole lot that the actors can talk about, no. and there's certainly. Uh, not a whole lot of information out there reflecting anyway, just because we're so in the moment. Five years from now, maybe we can really seriously <sighs> take a deep look at the the captains of Discovery and examine them in more depth. But for right now, it's just it's way too soon, man. Hashtag too soon. <laughs> well, uh, what one thing that we would love to hear from you guys is. Do you have any inside information on these actors and their process with these captains that we have not covered in the previous episode or this episode? What you can do is you can go to thenerdparty.com slash contact, select punch it from the drop-down menu, fill out the form, it'll send us an email right to our address, and if it's a good tidbit of information, we'll share it on air. And uh, one thing you can also do is you can go to facebook.com slash thenerdparty or Twitter at join nerd party you can also find us personally on twitter you can find me at the insane robin and you can find me at oh the profanity now i had a great time talking about behind the scenes stuff i love talking about behind the scenes stuff oh me too but next week next week is 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 another enigma that we're keeping for the folks so you're gonna have to tune in to hear what we're talking about but no matter what we talk about we're gonna punch it ready for warp sir let's punch it Join the revolution. Join the nerd party.